Michael, this is all very confusing. They say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing multiple times and expecting different results. But what do you call a person who changes his actions, gets better results, and then goes back to the old way of doing things? In today's episode, we're going to discuss the effects of letting emotional insecurities override logical decisions. I'm Remy Bartolotta, and this is On Markets, presented by Darwin Wealth Management and Darwin Asset Management. With me today, I have Chief Investment Officer Michael Sorrentino and Senior Financial Advisor Michael Bartolotta. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to shout out on the show, email comments at onmarkets.com or hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com. That's R-E-M-Y at onmarkets.com. And if you like our show, please hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So for those NBA fans out there, you'll certainly recognize the date March 2nd, 1962. And for everyone else, it was the day that superstar Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points in a single game. That was 60 years ago, and the record still stands. Most sports fans are aware of this record, but what never gets mentioned is that he was actually 28 for 32 from the foul line that night making him an 87% free throw shooter. On its own, this is a pretty good stat, the average being 73 in the league. But what makes the stat so remarkable is that leading up to this season, Chamberlain was making only 40% of his free throws. So how did he more than double his success rate in this particular game? So Mike, this is a story that you've been fascinated with for some time. So explain to our listeners what a standard free throw shot looks like and what a granny shot is. Yeah, listen, I've been dying to talk about this for a long time. So, you know, a regular free throw for anybody that's watched basketball, you know, for a right-handed shooter, he sort of balances the ball, you know, on the right side on, on his right hand and, and will shoot it overhand and guide it with his left hand, right? A granny shot is where you you hold the ball equally with both hands down at your knees and you throw it underhand. And you usually get made fun of for shooting the basketball that way because it's kind of wimpy or that's at least the perception of it. So this is a great story, but why are we talking about it? Well, the reason we're talking about it is because while Wilt Chamberlain saw an amazing success rate by changing the way he shot free throws, for some reason, after that season, he went back to shooting overhand and consequently, his free throw percentage dropped. So what does this say about making logical decisions over emotional decisions? Before we even get into this, why do you think he made this decision to go back to shooting overhand? I think the ridicule from the other players is just was so great that, you know, the benefit of better statistics was worth foregoing so that he didn't have to get ridiculed by the rest of the league. And, and it's not just him, you know, it's, been throughout the years. Look at a guy like Shaquille O'Neal, right? The guy was a dominant player. He was a horrible free throw shooter. Horrible. And, you know, it gave rise to the, the hack-a-shack thing, if you guys remember that, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. At the end of the game, the other team would just foul him because they knew he couldn't make his foul shots and he'd get the ball back. And he, they would relegate him to the bench at the end of the game. The guy was a dominant player. He could have been one of the, maybe the greatest of all time if he had been a better free throw shooter because he would have played at the end of games when it was the most important time. But it just goes to show how important it is for these guys to feel good about themselves or not to be made fun of 
by other players or by fans or by, you know, sports radio guys or whatever it is. There's really only one guy throughout the whole course of NBA history that shot underhanded consistently his whole career. It was Rick Barry. And the guy is the best free throw shooter of all time. But for some reason, he didn't care what other people thought of him. All he cared about was winning. And to him, it was more important. So why are we talking about sports on a financial podcast? I mean, let's be honest here. I'd say that probably 95% of life's mistakes come from just this, right? You know you're supposed to do something, all right? Logic tells you you're supposed to do it. And you don't do it for either vanity reasons or short-term gratification. You know, we could talk about investing all day long. I know I'm not supposed to go out and blow my money on a new car, right? I'm supposed to take that money and invest it into something or save it, let it grow over time, let interest compound over time. And then one day I wake up and I'm rich or I'm maybe not rich, but I can afford retirement. I don't have to you know, lose sleep at night over volatile markets, whatever it might be. That's what we're supposed to do. And what do we do nine times out of 10? We buy the car. So let's talk about something that's relevant to markets today, right? It's an extremely volatile market. Mike, you're meeting with clients every single day. What do you hear from clients? What do they want to do more often than not? Move to cash. Move to cash. I mean, I, I hear it all the time, right? It's I can't handle the volatility. I want to move to cash. I know it's there. And then when the market stabilizes, I'll go back. And Tino has written piece after piece about what results that kind of strategy yields historically. And people read them. And we were just literally talking this morning. I had a client call and said, you know, I know that you guys are right. I read this stuff every week. I can't argue with anybody. You're 100% right. I'm so uncomfortable with volatility. I still want to move to cash. Emotion absolutely won out over logic. So what we're really talking about is, once again, is timing the market, right? And Tino says this week after week, he writes about it week after week, is that you can't time the markets, right? Statistically speaking, and it's not just Tino, it's anybody that's worth the salt in, in the financial industry will tell you, you can never time the markets. Yet, no matter what, people want to time the market. So it doesn't matter that you're seeing the raw data. It doesn't matter that you've got professionals telling you this can't happen. People want to time the market because why? emotionally, they can't handle the volatility. Maybe emotionally, they can't handle the downside. Maybe they're talking to all of their friends and their friends are telling them, oh, well, you know what? I got into this at this time and all of a sudden I'm a, you know, a multi-gazillionaire or whatever the situation is. But the point is that statistically, it's a loser. You're not going to do it. But everybody wants to do it. How do you keep people from becoming their own worst enemy? I got a call yesterday from uh, not a client, but someone uh, had been referred to us. And the first thing he asked me is, what is your minimum to take on a client? And um, I said, well, you know, it, it, tell me about yourself and so forth. He said, well, I've been a day trader. And I said, you know, where are you? You know, what, are you concerned about minimums? He said, well, about six months ago, I had about 2.6. Today, I've got 900,000. And I'm wondering if I can give you like 250 and I'll still day trade the rest. It's insane. I mean, his results are, I mean, I don't know what he started with, but this guy goes from 2.6 to 900 in a matter of months. Yeah, I mean, what's that, like a 65% loss, roughly? Yeah, it's an enormous loss, right? And he's going to give an advisor you know, 250 just to dip his toe in the water. I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. But 
just the way people feel. Well, I mean, you could look at, and I, again, you're right, Remy, it's not just me. There, There is a mound of data that is, at this point, has become bulletproof. The average investor has failed to beat inflation over time. I'm not even a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds. Like, let's say, for example, you bought two index funds, 60% in the S&P 500, 40% of the Barclays aggregate or Bloomberg aggregate bond index, which is kind of the de facto bond index out there. So 60-40 split over time, even including the recent downturn that we've seen in both markets, you're still clipping above 6% annually over the last, called 40, 50 years. The average investor, okay, quote unquote, average investor has done about 2.1 to 2.3%. That huge differential there is not just the day trader you're talking about, Mike. Yeah, there's some bad stock picking that's out there. Don't get me wrong. But bad stock picking only goes so far. I mean, you really have to go out of your way to do something that poorly. Really, what it comes down to is market timing. That's the reason why there's such a big discrepancy between like I said, a balanced portfolio and what the quote unquote average investor has done over time. It's not being able to control your emotions during times like we're going through right now. All right. There's a lot of fear and panic out there in the market. There's no question about it. But at the same time, it's also the euphoria that we saw last year where everything just went up and hey, nothing can lose. We all can make money. Combine those two forces together. And that's the reason why average investors are, are, are they're not even beating inflation right now. And, you know, it's not just that investors want to go to cash, right? A lot of times they're looking to move to different portfolios. So, I mean, we just had a conversation you know, literally 30 minutes ago uh, with our whole team of advisors where they're concerned that a lot of their clients are looking to move to more heavily concentrated portfolios, right? And, you know, the conversation was, look, we, we understand that. But the reality is that your risk level at moving to a, a very highly concentrated portfolio goes up substantially, right? And this doesn't necessarily meet you know, your needs, it doesn't meet your risk tolerance. It's probably not going to be in your best interest in the long term. However, right now, the diversified portfolios don't look as hot as concentrated portfolios. So they want to make the move. You know, and I get it. I get it from a client's perspective. You know, they're not looking at you know, the past three years, the past five years. They're not looking at performance over the past even, you know, 18 months in some examples. They're looking at the past three months. You know, they're looking at, oh my God, I'm down 10% or I'm down 12% or whatever the number is. It doesn't really matter. Right. And and sort of the previous gains are are just totally out the window. So, you know, how do you open up the eyes of the average investor to say, look, you need to sort of look at the bigger picture. You need to sort of buy into the philosophy of why you're investing, not just look at, you know, this is how I performed in the past three months, because that's really not telling you the bigger picture at all. It's really giving you a very small snapshot and a very inaccurate snapshot, you know, essentially causing you to make emotional decisions that you know, are going to be detrimental in the long term. You're asking people to ignore their emotion and buy into logic. I mean, that's the bottom line. Yeah. And it's really, really, really difficult for people when the emotion is that strong to just ignore it and do what they will admit is the right thing. They understand it's the right thing, right? The issue is that we, we talk about it from a logic perspective and logic will almost never override emotion. It goes back to Will Chamberlain, right? This is working for you. Over the long run, this is how you'll be successful. And what does he do? Yeah, screw that. 
to be honest, and I think we should, at least I'm going to speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for you guys, but for myself, uh, you know, for our listeners, I, you know, I don't want to give the impression that we're, uh, we're robots that only make logical decisions because I definitely can relate to this as well. You know, number one, I can relate to that feeling of, you know what, I don't care how, how bad I am. I've got a reputation to maintain, but also Mike, you were sending over a couple examples earlier of, uh, you know, making illogical decisions that were, were purely based on emotion. And one of the examples that you gave was paying off low interest loans just to get rid of the debt, just get it off your books. And I find myself actually doing that quite often. And logically, I know that's not the best decision, but sort of the you know, emotional weight off of my shoulders of just knowing that I don't have to pay anything for me tends to override the logical decision that, you know, I could be making a lot more money. Right. So I totally get it. But that being said, I feel like the, usually for me anyways, when it's larger decisions, like you know, a decision based on my entire investment portfolio, I feel like it's a little bit easier to push those emotions aside and do the logical thing. Or when it's something that's a little bit smaller, even though I know it's the wrong thing, it's like, you know what, it's, it just makes me feel better and I don't really care all that much. Well, it's a question of degrees, right? What is the cost benefit of something like that? If you got a, a $75,000 mortgage at two and a half or 3%, it's not that big a deal to most people, right? It's probably not going to change your life. And is it worth it to give up that 3% arbitrage to give you that feeling of, you know, emotional security or whatever it is? You know, what we're talking about is people taking large sums of money. I mean, the stakes are so much higher. Totally. So, when I was doing a little bit of research for this, you know, Will Chamberlain holds the record for most points in a game. Do you know who holds the record for most um, free throw shots made in a game? Is it him? It's actually Will Chamberlain. It's that game. A guy who is known for being one of the worst free throw shooters in history holds the record for the most made free throw shots in a single game, which is that game as well. I mean, how crazy is that? It is. It's nuts. And I don't think he said this in the intro, but he said he was a 40% free throw shooter before. He wound up his career at like a 51% free throw shooter. Yeah. The guy knew he could be, you know, an 80% free throw shooter. So let me ask you a question, uh, Mike and Remy. Let's say you're in the NBA. You're, you're a budding star. You're a terrible free throw shooter. Are you going to go underhand? How old am I? 23. No. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not. You, you're not a good example for I know, our. For but our I'm podcast. just telling you, if yeah. if I'm 23 years old, th th there's a lot of weight on uh, you know having. Uh, we just did a whole episode about how stupid this is. <laughs> I and this is what you're going to do. And what did I tell you? I I I. I there's times when I know that I'm making bad decisions. Now, if you ask me that, and and you said that I'm my age now, 43, I'm going to take the granny shot all day. Ah, so it ties in an element of, of where you are in life, which I think is interesting because you said this earlier too, um, Remy, you'd, you'd rather pay off the mortgage right now, right? Even though you know it's not logical, you'd rather pay it off because you don't want that burden. Would you have done the same thing when you were 23? No, I actually would have made the opposite decision then as well. Priorities change, right? It, it was a lot more important to uh, look cool, act cool, and spend a lot of money in your 20s than, you know, than it is in your 40s. So as it relates to your financial portfolio, when it comes to making emotional decisions over logical decisions, what's the bottom line? First of all, I think you have to admit that they're emotional decisions, right? People don't really want to admit that they're giving into their emotion. So if you can see it with some degree of objectivity, 
that I'm making an emotional decision, it may make it easier to make a logical decision. Maybe. I don't know. This is going to sound like a plug, but if you know that you can't <laughs> control your emotions, hire somebody that can. Because I don't know of a single time in my life personally where I've made an emotionally fueled decision that resulted in a favorable outcome. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management LLC and Darwin Advisors LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there could be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.